In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. For the last 20 years or so, our culture has been enamored with origin stories, right? The prequel to the hit movie that started with Star Wars, right? There was the Star Wars movies in the 80s, and then, you know, 15, 20 years later, they did the prequel movies, episodes one through three, which we won't talk about the quality of those. But, but that started this genre, this fascination with the origin story. We have a hero, and then we want to know where they came from, right? But Hollywood has to sell the hero first, so to speak, and get you hooked, and then develop the character later. Well, for this feast that we're celebrating today, the feast of the entrance of the Theotokos into the temple when she was three years old, this is the ultimate origin story. This is the ultimate prequel, so to speak. Because we already know the Christian gospel. We know the story. We know that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In a little less than 40 days, we'll celebrate the Feast of Christmas. We'll celebrate that incarnation of the Word of God in the flesh. But who did He take flesh from? He took flesh from this woman, Mary. We call her the Theotokos, the Mother of God, the All-Holy One. Well, where did she come from? Was she just some random girl playing jacks on the street? And, and God's like, you know what? Like, I'll, you'll do. That's good enough. You're good enough. Like, no. Of course not. Of course not. She was specially prepared because this is a special event. Right? This is... This is not only a special event, but you can literally say, you can literally say, the world was depending on her holiness. Right? Her yes to God opened the gates of paradise for us, allows us to say yes to God, to dwell with Him. Right? So this isn't just some girl. She's not just some girl whom God chose. She is the woman whom God had prepared. Okay? And in the Old Testament, we have examples of God's glory descending in special places. You know where God's glory does not descend? And those places where they're sacrificing children and worshiping idols and doing all sorts of awful, evil things. That's where His glory does not descend. You know where God's glory does not descend? On the camp of the Israelites when they're murmuring against Moses and Aaron saying, we wish you would take us back to Egypt. Where does God's glory descend though? on the tabernacle, right? Later on Solomon's temple, right? 
We read in the Old Testament, Moses consecrates the tabernacle in the wilderness and God's glory descends on it, right? And the cloud of light, the cloud of glory fills the tabernacle. In Solomon's temple, it was Solomon prays the prayer of consecration and the temple is filled with his glory. Why would it be any different when God wants to take flesh that he wouldn't prepare a special person, a special dwelling place for those nine months in the womb. It needs to be somebody who's holy. It needs to be somebody who is above reproach, and it needs to be somebody who loves Him with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we have Mary. We have the ultimate origin story. And the glory, her glory of course, is the glory of her son. Everything about her life points to him. She doesn't have glory in and of herself. She has glory because she was humble and obedient and she was a part, a major part, of God's dispensation, of the plan of salvation of His descension to us to help us ascend to Him. Mary's glory is Christ Himself, which is why today during Orthros, for those of you who were here and were paying attention, we started singing the Christmas canon. It was the canon that we sing for the Feast of Christmas. This is the feast of the entrance of the Theotokos into the temple. There's a canon, a group of hymns, written for that feast. And on this feast, we're not singing that. Why? Because we're singing the Christmas canon. Why? Because her glory is Him. The glory of this feast is revealed in its fullness in Christmas. Right? And what are the fir- what's the first line of the canon? Christ is born, glorify Him. Christ comes from heaven, receive Him. Who better to do that than her? She has shown us how to do this. If you think about this feast, this feast should be, should be the most relatable feast in the church calendar to us, to our lives. Because what do you have here? You have an elderly couple that was childless and endured their shame and kept their prayer, asked God for a child and promised to give that child back to God. They received a little girl, and three years later, they go to the temple to fulfill their promise. Now, some of us might not understand this idea of them leaving their child at the temple, but we can understand the idea of making a promise to God and keeping that promise, right? We hear about this all the time. Someone's in a life-or-death situation. Oh, Lord, if you save me, I'll quit my drinking, I'll quit my smoking, I'll go back to... Whatever it is, right? We've heard those stories, right? We know what it's like to make a promise to God and keep it. Joachim and Anna made a promise to God and they kept it. So you have this couple and they're bringing a child to church. That's what this feast is. That's part of the feast. For those of us who have children, we should bring our children to church. Right? Like it's not that 
complicated. It's not always easy, but it's not that complicated. Okay, and then what else do we have? What's another part of this? We have a young girl who loves God so much that she runs up the steps. The temple had steps, okay, about 15 steps. And on each step would be sung or read or recited a psalm from Psalm 119 to 133. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. And we read these during pre-sanctified liturgy. Okay? The Psalms of Ascent. And on each step you would read a different psalm as you ascend closer and closer to the Holy of Holies. Now nobody could go into the Holy of Holies. Right? Nobody could go in there except the high priest and only once a year after purifying himself. And yet Zacharias, Zacharias, who is the father of John the Baptist, her kinsman, he's the high priest there that day. He receives her and is inspired by this spirit to take her into the Holy of Holies. There's no explanation for this other than it was divinely inspired. And what should have happened was that she should have died when that happened. But because she lived there for the next 12 years, it's clear and obvious that this was actually what God wanted. Okay? But Zacharias didn't make a mistake, but he was inspired by the Spirit. And so, into the temple of the Lord goes the one who's going to become the temple of the Lord. And one commentator that I read yesterday said, the temple itself was blessed by her presence, more than she was blessed by the presence of the temple. The temple, she blessed the temple with her holiness. So, we have a young lady who goes to church and loves God and wants to stay. And so she prays. And she spends her life in prayer. Right? There was a verse that was read during Orthros today. I heard Kai read it. It was before the Gospel reading. And it's from the Psalms. And it says, I was filled with joy when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. For there shall we make our prayer. We have to come to the temple to become the temple of God. The Theotokos comes to the temple to become the living temple of the living God. We too have to come to the temple to become the living temple of the living God. In John chapter 4, Christ tells a Samaritan woman, the day is coming when you will not worship on this mountain, but you will worship in spirit and in truth. Right? And we know, we know from the day of Pentecost on, that the Christians, the baptized Christians, have become the living temples of God. St. Paul says himself, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? We are all called to become temples. We are all called to follow Mary to church, into the Holy of Holies, so to speak. We are all called to ascend to heaven, to rise up above the cares and distractions and desires of this life that pull us down. 
Even in the Gospel reading which we just read, it's a story of Mary and Martha, a different Mary, okay? These are the friends of Christ. And Mary is sitting at Christ's feet, and Martha is, what is she doing? She's trying to do a good thing, but she's really distracted. She's, Christ says she is distracted with much serving. She's not just serving, she's distracted with serving. And then she becomes resentful. Lord, I'm doing something right. She's not. Tell her, fix her, and tell her to come help me. But Mary, in that story, chose the good part. To be with Christ. This, the church needs Mary's and Martha's. Okay, That's a different homily for a different time. Okay, but in this instance, right, we, for this feast, I want you to think about that Mary at Christ's feet and this Mary at Christ's feet in prayer all her life, especially from ages 3 to 12 when she lived in the Holy of Holies, when she was fed by the angels. And just as a side note, you might ask, where does this come from? Where does this feast come from? Right? It's not in the Scriptures. Well, the church has tradition. And it comes from the Gospel of James. James, the brother of the Lord, who accompanied Mary and Joseph to Egypt. You can imagine one night by the campfire, James is like, hey, can you tell me about your childhood? And Mary's like, yeah, let me tell you about it. When I was three, da-da-da-da-da. Right? This has been part of the church tradition from the beginning. From the beginning. But this feast should be relatable to us because Mary is no different than we are. She's the great example, not the great exception. So, on those days when it's cold and 16 below zero and dark in the middle of winter, right? When we wake up and don't want to get out of bed. When we have things we need to do and we don't want to do them. When we just don't want to go to church because it's just too hard. Let us think about Mary. Let us think about Joachim and Anna, too. And let us go to the temple of God. Because there, only in the temple of God, will our hearts be filled with joy. We can have glimpses and glimmers of joy elsewhere. We normally strive for happiness, which is a fleeting emotion. But occasionally we'll have joy, right? A baby is born, right? A big accomplishment, some tender moment in the family. But the most joy we will have is here in the temple of God. Because this is where we can transcend the cares of this world and meet the living God. And we do that through relationship with Mary and through relationship with the saints. So, let us remember, let us remember that Mary's glory is Christ and we seek Christ with everything we have, just as she did. And if Christ becomes our glory, as he was for St. Paul, we'll be able to say, I do not boast in myself, but I boast in the cross. I boast in my weakness. For through my weakness is God's strength made perfect. Brothers and sisters, 
Let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us remain in the house of the Lord. And even when we go back out into the world, let us remember and meditate on the things that we hear, the things that we see, and the prayers of the saints that carry us up to heaven. So that even as our body is out in work, in school, in the grocery store, in the marketplace, our heart will always be with the Lord, just as Mary's heart was always with the Lord. To our great example, Mary, the Theotokos, be proper veneration, as she and we give glory and honor to Christ our God, together with the Father and His unoriginate, together with the Father and His all holy and good and life-giving Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Yes. Yes.